Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Tomasi. Hello, ServiceNow admins, builders, developers, and curious individuals. And as always, I say that with the utmost respect because you deserve it. This is Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast, and I am really happy today to have with me Rob Bittner, Principal Product Manager. How are you today, Rob? Well, I'm doing great today. It's uh, It's been a crazy year, and it'll be nice to see 2020 in the rearview mirror. <laughs> You're not alone in that sentiment, of course. No. Um, <laughs> one of the developers said his worry is that he wakes up on January 1st, and the calendar says December 32nd. <laughs> Groundhog Day. Ah. Yes. <laughs> Let's not do this again. Now, we have to be honest. 2021 is not going to be you know, a walk in the park. We're going to have some work to do in front of yep. us. So, but before we get that far down the road, I always like to get to know our guests. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Rob Bittner? Ah, who is Rob Bittner? Well, I'm a longtime Californian. Uh, actually, my mother and grandfather were born in the state, but uh, <clears throat> they unfortunately made a move to Arizona when I was born. Hey, 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 I'm in Arizona. <laughs> How could they? <laughs> um, so I was actually born in Tucson. I uh, actually came back to California to study applied mathematics at UC San Diego. Go Tritons. All right, Rob, I got to ask you, what is applied mathematics? Well, you know, there's applied mathematics. There's what we would call regular mathematics. In regular mathematics, you can pretty much get away with just pencil and paper uh, to do your work. With applied math, you typically have to use computers. And it's a lot around, you know, how computers add numbers, how they do it incorrectly, and how you get around that. Um, statistics, um, probability, and, uh, you know, computational uh, methods, like how do you approximate the path of a satellite using a computer? And frankly, the computers are faster at it than I ever was. (laughs) They are always faster. And like I say, I'm a math major, not an arithmetic major. Yeah, I I always struggled when I was in college to understand why the math department was so tightly coupled with the computer science curriculum. And then you know, here it is 40, 50 years later, a friend of mine says, you do realize that they are. And he, he gave me a couple examples. I went, oh, yeah, that's perfect. You know, we both have functions. Yeah. We both have, you know, a way of analyzing and architecting. And it, it follows a very similar paradigm. And that's when I went, oh, my gosh, I wish my eyes weren't so you know, myopic back then. I probably would have got a lot out of my math courses. Yep. And uh, I, I liked it because it was all the fun of um, science, math, without all the engineering heavy coursework, which I was not too keen on. <laughs> I'm the reverse. <laughs> yes. Uh, you can, you, you can have your theoretical, just let yes. me turn on some LEDs or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a nice contained world. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we get along well, compliment each other. Uh, well, tell us about your work. What do you do? for? Yeah, so I, I was going to say, like, What's like you know, what does a math major do when they get out of college, right? Right. And so I ended up going to work in demographics. So, you know, looking at demographic projections, building demographic databases for all kinds of companies, like helping McDonald's figure out where to put their next McDonald's. And then from that, I got into GIS, which is Geospatial Information Systems, yep. Geographic Information Systems. And then the obvious transitioned into location-based services. So again, a lot of data-related, uh, and then but computational and spatial 
uh, analysis. And I got into computer-aided design after that and uh, worked hmm. at Autodesk for quite some time. Before ServiceNow, I was at Splunk, so deep ah. into the log aggregation, um, log analysis world. So in short, you know, I love all things data, all things platform-related. That's, that's really what I enjoy. So how did that transition into instance data replication? What's the, what's the <laughs> magical mathematical data analysis that goes on there? Because you know, on the surface, it looks like, hey, we're just copying data from one instance to another. But I know there's more going on behind the scenes. There's a lot more going um, into it. I think where it gets interesting is when you're sending data back and forth and messages back and forth, you know, how do you ensure the integrity Mm-hmm. of what you're passing on. How do you ensure that, you know, when you're making updates, they all stay in order? That like the most recent update is applied the last, right? And so as you're pushing things back and forth, there's a lot of uh, interesting math and interesting um, computer science that goes in to make sure that all of these messages are getting through correctly in the right order and that you're validating that they all do get through. So that's the interest in IDR. I would okay. also little toot my horn here. I also manage metric base, which is another uh, wonderful product that ServiceNow offers. And I also work with the platform persistence teams, which if you really want to get into the depths of <laughs> how ServiceNow works, um, you know, how queries get routed, uh, how database tables get, you know, split up to improve performance and all those wonderful things. So as you can see, I have a fond place in my heart for all these very, fundamental components uh, that run ServiceNow. Yeah, a lot of people just don't see them and recognize them. I, but It's great to call them out because they are so crucial to the success of, of the platform. Yeah. I, I need to back up. We're doing this in totally random order here, so <laughs> that's okay. This is casual conversation. When you're not working on mathematical and data analytics type stuff, what do you enjoy doing outside of work? Oh, boy. So um, very much an outdoorsy guy. Uh, Love skiing. I've been skiing since I was a kid. Hmm. But mostly my biggest uh, waste of time (laughs) (laughs) or or where I like spending my time is in uh, rock climbing. So I've been an avid climber with varying degrees of intensity for the past 20 plus years. I know she said rock climbing, which implies your hands and your feet, not rock crawling, which would imply yes, climbing. You yes, some my hands sort of look vehicle. terrible. Okay, gotcha. Uh, are you free climb or what? Um, well, so that's that's a little bit of a you know from a terminology perspective, climbing without a rope is called soloing. Okay. So if you ever saw Free Solo with Alex Honnold on the wall, the, the movie, he's climbing without a rope, and that's considered soloing or free soloing because he's actually climbing alone without a rope. Hence the free and the solo. Hence the dangerous part too. <laughs> yes. Free climbing is typically when you use the rope and other gear only for protection to catch you if you fall. Okay. There's a whole other group of climbing called aid climbing where you actually hang on your gear to get up things. And that is really um, the domain of extreme specialists because they're hanging off almost nothing on the side of the wall by hooks and things like that. And it's, it's pretty, it can get pretty scary. Really? Okay. So the one that you're relying on the gear is the one that's the scariest. <laughs> that's not what I would think. I would think if you're up yes, by your fingertips. You're... Imagine you have these little micro hooks yeah. that you're hanging off a tiny, tiny little nubbin on a 
you know, in Yosemite and, and you lean into your gear and that little piece of rock pops and you go flying with, you know, several pounds of equipment on you. It's okay. Mr. Spock will catch you before you hit the ground. Yes. Um, <laughs> but the big trend right now, or more recently has been what they call freeing aid routes. So where you take a route that was done using aid and now you try to climb it with just your hands and, and oh, feet. Okay. So the, the Don wall, I mean, everybody probably saw Tommy Caldwell's Don wall movie, or at least it was in the New York times and all these things. He was trying to free this route that had been, uh, for the most part aided before that. Okay. Now our listener knows a little bit more about yeah, rock climbing. And then climbing. the other on a completely, um, orthogonal spectrum is I got into, umpiring little league baseball about eight years ago, nine years ago, mm -hmm. uh, mainly because I was coaching my son's game. And I said to myself, these umpires are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, don't do that. You get yourself. And a so job. then um, I started umpiring and then now I look, go out and like, Oh my goodness, these fans and coaches know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. Now you get a better perspective on things. Yes. Okay. Again, random order. We mentioned it, but let's back up a little bit. Introduce the listener to instance data replication or IDR. Right. So instance data replication, you may hear it called like referred to as IDR because that's a mouthful to say instance data replication. Of course. Um, it's it's a an application that's uh, available for licensed uh, to be licensed from ServiceNow. And it's really around, as the name says, replicating data. So if you think of it this way, you know, if you have this sort of fundamental questions when you're running ServiceNow, is like, if you have two instances, how do you share data between those two instances? How do you make sure that those, uh, that data that you would share is in sync? You know, and if you have sort of reference data, like, you know, you know department codes or um, SKUs or something like that, how do you ensure that you have a single source of truth that gets pushed out to all the instances that you have? And that's where... IDR comes in. Um, IDR is very cool because it operates on dedicated infrastructure that's uh, managed and uh, run by ServiceNow. Mm -hmm. And it's in all our data centers. Obviously, for data instance data replication to work is you need two instances. So you need two ServiceNow instances that need to talk to each other. And they are either in the process of producing changes, which we call them that is the producer or consuming the change. And sometimes it can be doing both. So it's really the concept of producing and consuming is a, um, is a role that they take on based on what they're doing. Okay. You know, this means well, I can go on and say, what is wonderful about IDR? One, it's simple to set up and configure. I agree. Because, <laughs> because we have all the infrastructure set up, it's very straightforward. I, if you've ever done it, it's to the point where I can demo this, you know, and if I can set it up and, and show how it works, <laughs> then uh, it's a pretty low bar uh, in terms of complexity. Uh, it's flexible because it supports a lot of different use cases. There's a lot of ways that you can fine tune the data, that you can transform it as you're pushing it from one instance to another uh, and gives you that flexibility to really tune it to your business processes. And it's reliable because... ServiceNow is running it, you don't have to worry about the infrastructure. You connect and you push data through it. Yeah, and I like the and fact that you, you, you don't have to configure your own REST APIs or synchronization schedules and say, 
all right, this information is going from A to B, or how do you avoid cyclical loops where it was updated on one instance and then it was refreshed on another, and oh, that triggered an update. It, it just frees your mind from all of that nonsense to say, look, I need the data from this table or a subset of it over on that instance and keep it up to date. Yeah, that's that's really the the beauty of it. And because it never leaves the ServiceNow data center, you can rest assured that it's secured. We obviously encrypt both the data itself and the transport. And so it's it's basically everything you want in terms of ensuring that your two instances can talk to each other and share data in a secure fashion. You mentioned some use cases earlier. What use cases are you seeing out of our customer base? I think the use cases that we're really seeing are, they, they fall into multiple areas, right? The first one is really like you have two instances that need to share data, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the the perfect use case is to just talk about how ServiceNow uses it because we use IDR internally. Uh, when a customer files a case on high, right, that case is reflected inside our internal uh, engineering system that we call, don't ever ask me why, Build Tools 1. <laughs> yeah, it's like, was there a two, a three? Was, is there a two on the road? I don't know. <laughs> I um, that too. <laughs> but what that means is when the case comes in, it gets reflected in the engineering system with all the attending you know, comments and data. And so the engineering team can work on it. They can, they can say what branches they're pushing the code to, um, you know, the results of the test they're fixed. The support team can see that information, but then what is available to the you know, end user or the person who filed the case, they get to see the case results of the case data yep. and we get to segregate those two pieces of information. So it's a very uh, helpful way for us to have systems that are dedicated to sort of very specific workflows. And I, I like the fact that they're not even the same tables and, and this, the field mapping may be different because it's right. a high problem record. But on Build Tools 1, it's a, a defect record, if I'm not mistaken. And, Correct. you know, priorities may be numeric on one and strings on another. And But we can address all of that as part of the configuration of IDR. So it makes it very simple to set up. Yes. And the other thing that you mentioned, now that I think of it, is you can transform. So um, it can come in as a PRB and be published into our uh, systems as a defect. Mm-hmm. So when you're taking that number, you can change it from a PRB and then the number to DEF and then the number. Nice. Um, so you can. So there's ways to cool. transform the data as you bring it in to give you flexibility so that it matches um, the, you know, it may come in as a case and get converted to a problem. Uh, so you have that flexibility in your mapping so that each system is, is um, they can share the data, but they can be consistent with their own uses of the data. Uh, we are currently in the Paris time frame. Yep. I know Quebec is right around the corner, but what are some of the things in Paris customers can look forward to? Uh, boy, uh, a lot. I think the biggest ones that we did is before Paris, you can only use data replication within a specific region, mm-hmm. right? You could say, you know, within the US, for example. And now with Paris, you can go across regions. So if you can have data that's in, you know, uh, Latin America can be replicated using IDR in the United States. Or, um, you know, if you're a bank and you're operating multinationally, but you want to have your data in different places because you want it for data governance reasons and whatever, but you may need to, to transfer different pieces, you can now do that. 
You know, I hadn't thought of that use case before. It would make multiple production instances more viable with IDR. Right. And I think the idea of having multiple production instances that are more viable or that maybe have to conform to different data rules or certain parts of it have to conform to different data rules is one aspect of this. One of the other places that we've seen a lot of interest and use in is what I call migration in flight. Um, Many of our customers have developed these, um, you know, ServiceNow and legacy systems that maybe the data models they they use don't quite conform to the new to ITSM or to some of the customer service management, you know, uh, data models, and they want to migrate to this so that they can benefit from those products. So how do you migrate in flight? Because these systems still need to keep operating. You can't just turn them all down and roll over all the data. It's sure. sometimes too much of a monumental task. And so what our customers are doing, either when they're maybe they're acquiring two companies or they're moving from an, a legacy system that they want to deprecate to a new one, they use IDR to keep that data in sync as they're going through this process. Oh, that's great. And so great. they can keep all their systems operational and yet have the benefit of having that migration take place. You've got your old data, you got your new data, and keep going. Wow, that, that certainly makes the transition less painful. Yeah, and another one use case is when you have two companies that have partnered with each other. Say, for example, um, I'm a... Tel- a telco, and yet I have a service desk that I've outsourced to. Mm-hmm. And that service desk uses ServiceNow. And when they file cases and whatnot, some of those will get ex- escalated to the telco. And that is a way of connecting the telco ServiceNow with the their vendor's ServiceNow instance. The other big one that I, I like in Paris is the one checkbox to make bi-directional. Ah, yes, I was going to get to that. Oh, yeah, bi-directional. That, that is like Nobel Prize material there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. it's um, So for those of you who didn't don't really know, the benefit of that is prior to Paris, um, you know, in, in, in IDR, you set up what's called a replication set, which is how you define what you want to have replicated. And prior to Paris, you had to define that replication set on both the con- instances. Now I can define it on one and click that checkbox and say bidirectional and magic happens. Yeah, there's a whole world of complexity that's hidden from view. You see the results you know, that, hey, this one is sending information from A to B and this one's sending information from B to A and everything is just magically taken care of. But that one checkbox is deceptively simple. I love that. Uh, unfortunately, it came along after I set up my bi-direction. <laughs> so, yeah, I think certainly appreciate in, it. <laughs> in the same vein is uh, the concept of discrete replication sets. Explain that. If before you would define a replication set, and you know that would apply to every instance you're replicating to, and now you can say, well, in instance A, I want to use this replication set. In instance B, I want to use that replication set. Okay. I think you mentioned one great thing that that is that's sort of fundamentally great about IDR. You know, it's hiding the complexity from you. You have control. You have the granularity you need to do what you need to do. But beyond that, we're doing our best to hide all that complexity and all that functionality under the the hoods so that you just have to worry about the benefits of the product and not configuring it and setting it up. Uh, it, I think it's also important to recognize what IDR is not. What, what do we... Tell people that this is not what this product is for. 
Please don't abuse it. You'll find yourself in a world of hurt. We had right. some of this on on the Tech Now that we did on the 15th of December. Yep. But um, I want to hear I, it from you. Yeah, I think the biggest one to highlight is it's not a substitute for cloning, right? Like, like right. cloning is about taking a snapshot of your instance, making a clone of it so that you can test your development. Mm-hmm. That you can have a fully contained instance that is a replica or a duplicate of your production instance so that you can test things on, right? It's it's that snapshot with cloning. It happens on a, on a very specific time frame. It's, there's no connection between the two. Um, so IDR is not uh, the mechanism or the preferred mechanism to do that cloning process. That's why we have cloning. And in, in the same vein, it's really not about if you're trying to move a lot of data from one instance to another, but it's not going to be an ongoing thing, then like IDR is probably not the right tool for that. I would suggest either using cloning or backup restore or some other approach. And um, we, we did have somebody yesterday ask if it was a replacement for backups. I said, no, no, by all means, no. no. <laughs> ba- uh, IDR is really for production use. It is for synchronizing and keeping in sync two distinct instances that are both used in production and used in your business. I have seen uh, a use case where, you know, you mentioned Build Tools 1, and mm-hmm. you know, that could in some ways be thought of as a dev system. So if you were taking, if you had a bidirectional IDR configuration, you could take your production issues, enhancements, defects, whatever you want to call them, and replicate those to a subprod. As long as people aren't creating new records down there and messing up your numbering schema, yeah. but you could address them. Your developers are going to be eating, breathing, and sleeping in dev. So why not present them with the work the they need to do? So you keep it in sync. And when they change the status, whoop, it replicates back up to prod and you get your reporting out where you need your reporting. So yeah, that, that might be a, a case where you're going between a prod and a subprod, but I'm sure yeah. everybody's going to have different use cases for it. And I think that's that's a little bit in lines with what people are doing when they're doing what I call migration in flight, hmm. is that they're developing and pushing out changes to a new system, and but they're still using the old legacy system. So they want to make sure they're in sync. I, I'm fascinated by that. I'd, I'll, yeah, I want to see... Another thing is if you're looking to move data on specific schedule, yep. like IDR is, I call it near real time or human real time. Yep. <laughs> Meaning by the time I notice the change, it's there. Yeah. It's not, it's not real time down to microseconds. It, it's not, it, it may take a second or two for your record to show up, but by the time you switch browser tabs and navigate to that record, it's there. <laughs> it's there. Um, and another thing to remember is IDR is about replicating data. So we don't replicate configurations or metadata. This is not about taking a snapshot or a copy of your instance and how it's configured. It's about the data. Yeah, I actually, that that question came up as well. They said, hey, can we use this for business rules or script includes? I said, no, no, no. (laughs) You would lose all your governance and your control. There are some that you can do. um, But as always, I I think the key thing to remember as the sort of big guiding principle with IDR is this is really about replicating the data. Yeah, that transactional data. Business rules over um, that I think probably make more sense. And if you think of, you know, best practices, do you really want somebody updating a business rule on one side and the other team not realizing that it's been updated? I maybe, maybe not, but it just seems like there are probably better processes for pushing out 
uh, changes to business rules, scripts, and things like that. It would give you no place to, there's no margin of error. I mean, how are you going right. to test that? Because as soon as you save your work, it's in prod. So if you just made a major boo-boo, it's in prod. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, don't do that. <laughs> I, I, that makes my skin crawl when I think of that. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's just like, well, you know, it goes against all the best practices of, of coding and configuring, right? Agreed. Agreed. Well, I think, lastly, I think it's sort of implicit. One of the things that you, I think it's implicit, but I think it's worth calling out is that IDR is service now to service now replication. Right. We don't have the capacity to replicate from ServiceNow, uh, or at least IDR doesn't have the capacity to replicate from ServiceNow out to some other system. Well, that's a good point. You, because I, I, I know we don't want to give away any uh, here safe harbor, safe harbor, safe harbor hashtag. Yeah. I don't know if you're directly involved with it. I was watching some of the Quebec content, but we do have something on the roadmap that is is more tuned to e-bonding solutions. So, uh, you know, IDR is is not an e-bonding solution that is going to fit that. We're coming out with something that's better for that use case. Yeah. I think, you know, as we look forward on the roadmap, uh, performance is always important, right? Always. If you're replicating data and you're going through the process of, of seeding, which is the initial configuration you, you do, you want to make sure that it works as fast as possible and can handle the volume of data that just seems to be exploding with our customers. The other one, of course, it, it's it's ease of use, but it maps into not just ease of use of IDR, but uh, familiarity, right? We want to get IDR to be more um, in line with the user experience that you have with, say, Integration Hub. Right. So integration hub, you can go, you can set up, you can do lots of things. You can, they're looking at some very interesting things like how you map fields and things like that. And we want to make sure that as we move forward, IDR follows the same paradigms and potentially fits into that same structure so that as a user, you only have to go one place to learn how to do these things when you want to learn exchange data with systems. You mentioned integration hub. I think it's fair to say that at this point, as we record this in December 2020, again, hashtag safe harbor. Talk to your account team if you have licensing questions. IDR is a licensed product. Yes. So it's not included with the platform. In fact, you probably won't even see a plugin on your plugin list. You have to contact customer support to get that activated. Uh, and as far as I know, it's not available on PDIs either. So it is something that uh, you're going to need to get some specific help to get it right. up. Not to get it up and running, but just get it installed. Because yeah, it does I think really, for a PDI, you would need two instance PDI instances anyways to test it. I think many of our listeners have two PDI Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> they probably have more than two. Wink, I wink. <laughs> Speaking of our listeners, many of them are technical, and uh, I'm sure they'd love to get their hands on IDR. How should they approach their boss or, or their leadership to gain that interest? What What kind of words can we help them with? Well, I think the first thing to keep in mind is you need essentially two production instances. So there's either two cases, right? There's, you know, in many companies, you will have maybe developed over time these departmental systems. Mm -hmm. And as you grow your usage of service now, it sometimes seems to be redundant or wasteful or inefficient to have two distinct systems that don't talk to each other. 
Or re- or duplicate work where you've got or the same work, data right. sources importing the same data from, you know, Workday or whatever. Right. And you're like, why am I importing this five times? And so that is, is a good place where you could gain a lot of benefit um, from IDR is to make sure those systems are in sync. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is, like I said, if you're looking at your your instances, right, and you're seeing that it's time to refresh or migrate um, to a newer ServiceNow system, like because you develop data models that are like maybe no longer aren't going to fit into the products that you're trying to use, or you did things that you regret doing. Oh, nobody, no, no, we, I'm sure nobody can relate to that. And how you set up your instance, (laughs) um, that there may have been some reservations about like, you know, moving to something new because of the the impact on the day-to-day business. And IDR is a way to mitigate some of that so that you can have the benefit of moving to an instance while still, you know, ensuring that, you know, all your existing systems are up and running. And we have a number of customers that are doing that and looking at that at IDR as a way to do that. Um, I think there's also the use case around, you know, segregation of data. Right. And different ServiceNow instances may have different, um, you know, it's an extra way to control access to that underlying sure. data is to having two distinct systems. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do it internally with high and build tools one. It, it keeps a segregation between the two um, and it allows you to maybe on some systems not be as draconian on how you enforce access to it. And on the other systems, maybe because of compliance reasons and auditing reasons, you may have to be more strict in that, but yet you may want to be able to share data between the two. And you can then gate what data is available between the two. And, you know, IDR offers a lot of granularity in the what range and type of data you can push over. A lot of business rules, a lot of controls uh, to make sure that you're sharing the right information in the right way. Excellent information. Thank you. I hope that uh, you know, our listeners now have some ammunition to go talk to, at least start that conversation with their boss saying, I think this might work for us. I, now, the more I think about that, uh, you know, migration and flight thing, it, it, occasionally we get the, the customer, like you said, they've been doing things for the last 5, 10, 12 years ago. You know, we probably should go back to out-of-the-box configuration. As we hear many of our customers saying, we we customize this thing too much and it's costing us, it's too hard to do the upgrades. Let's go back to an out-of-the-box configuration. This would provide them one of the avenues to do so. Yeah. You could take your current existing production information and test it out as you're building it out and saying, do what do we need? What don't we need? Oh man, I'm just, I got to stop thinking about that. It's going to keep me up all night. It's a wonderful idea. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like me to add that we may have missed? Any last minute notes? The, la- the thing I would add is like... Uh- Broaden your thinking about, you know, how you use ServiceNow and how you integrate at, at, at a very sort of macro level. Like, how do these systems integrate? We at ServiceNow are working hard to make sure that, you know, we support all the imagination you have as to and the business needs you have as to how you need to say, set these things up. And so focus first to me would be like, what are the business processes you need to enable? What are the use cases you need to enable? And how do we at ServiceNow help you do that? Mm-hmm. As opposed to trying to shoehorn maybe some of your processes or your setups into the way ServiceNow is doing things. Yes, we have a lot of good knowledge around customer success, you know, the CSM or ITSM or CMDBs and things like that. 
but we're here to serve you. And so IDR is a way and a tool to help you set up the structures that you need. So that's that would be my last parting shot. I like that because so many times, especially with our technical audience, we, we get down into technologies and tool sets and it, it really needs to revolve around the solution first. What is the outcome we're trying to drive? And then you back yourself into what are the tools I need to accomplish this? So IDR may not be what you need to do for many use cases, but it could be the, the, the tool you need for some of these use cases as well. So think about the solutions first. Good stuff, man. I, I, I get that from Dan Bellino. <laughs> we'll be talking to him in a few episodes. <laughs> That'll be awesome. Thank you for joining us today, Robert. And uh, before we go, can we let the listener how, know how they can get in touch with you? Well, you can email me at ServiceNow. So it's my first name, dot last name, like everybody. Uh, Rob, R-O-B-B. B-I-T-T-N-E-R. Um, and you can also get in touch with me via LinkedIn, which is just Rob Bittner, one long. Uh, I have a LinkedIn slash Rob Bittner, and you'll get there. <laughs> very good. Thank you very much for the contact info. And thank you, wonderful listener, for joining us today. Don't forget to check out the other ServiceNow podcasts. You can find them on the community at community.servicenow.com. Underneath the resources menu, there's a whole page full of them. Subscribe to this or any of those to get them automatically delivered to you for free. That's the best price of anything is free. And you can get the podcast you want if there's something about ITSM or reporting, we got you covered for that as well. And don't forget to share this podcast with some of your developer friends as well. Again, thank you very much, Rob. It's been wonderful talking to you today. Thanks, Chuck. Please let us know what you think about this podcast. You can leave feedback or ask questions in the ServiceNow community. For more great information on ServiceNow development, check out the ServiceNow developer portal at developer.servicenow.com. Thanks for listening.